Well, this morning we're continuing to go through the book of Mark. Um, we're talking about um, parables last week and this week, and the parables are concerning the kingdom of God, which sounds like it should be easy to explain, but it's really not. Sometimes it's hard to see and hard to understand because we talk about the kingdom of God like it's here, but it's not fully here, like it's coming, um, but it's not already here in its fullness, that God is reigning, but sometimes it feels like he's not in charge at all. And so sometimes when we talk about the kingdom of God, it can be confusing or discouraging. We're just like, I'm not really sure how that fits. And then along with that, we want to grow spiritually, but we're, I think if we really think about it, we're not quite sure how that works either, right? We read our Bibles, we pray, um, we go to church, we learn with other believers. It doesn't really seem like anything like magical or special is going on, but somehow in the midst of all those little things, we change, we become different. Things happen differently. Our lives are changed through those. But how does that happen? How is it beneficial? How does it make us different? How does it change us? How does the Word grow within us? That's what we're looking at today as we continue to go through the parables of Jesus. Last week, we looked at the parable of the sower, and we kind of talked about our responsibility of um, receiving the Word and being open and receptive to it, and then kind of keeping our soil clean, not to be choked out or crowded out by other desires. And so today, we're going to look more closely at really God's side of it and what He does in the midst of us to help us grow and how the kingdom and the Word grows within us. And so we are going to be in Mark chapter 4, if you would like to turn along with us. We're going to start in verse 21. Um, it's page 890 if you're here and you're looking at a pew Bible, or it's also in um, the Version Bible app. If you have that, you can open it up, find us, and then the scriptures will be there. But we're going to read Mark 4, 21 through 34 this morning. It says this, And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, Pay attention. This is probably important because he said, Listen two times in a row, right? Um, by the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these as they were able to understand. And he did not speak to them without a parable. And privately, he, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. And so we see in these parables this morning, we're going to kind of go through these um, piece by piece and see what it means for us and how it goes. And so we start just with this kind of 
the one about the, the lamp, right? The lamp is brought in not to be put under a basket or under a bed. It's to be put on a lampstand because I know everybody knows the answer to this, but what does a lamp or a light do? It illuminates. It reveals things. It shows you what is there. It's there to help you see or sometimes even to be seen, right? Think of a lighthouse on the coast. It's to be seen from far away so ships don't crash into land and they know where they are. And it helps guide us on the path. Um, In a time where we are like never without electricity or lights, it's really hard for us to understand how crucial light is um, because now we all have, well, most of us have smartphones that come with a flashlight. So even if you find yourself in a situation where there's no light, you just turn on the flashlight on your phone. But it's crucial to be able to see. But what is the lamp that he's talking about here? When he talks about this lamp, and I think we get an idea when we look at one of the words, right? It says the lamp is brought in. Now, brought in, this word for brought in is actually translated come more than it's translated brought in. So it's really saying the lamp has come, which is a very different meaning for us in English than it would have been when they read it. And so when we say the lamp has has come and it's Jesus speaking about the lamp and he's saying the kingdom of God is here in his other teaching, it's like big flashing lights, right? Jesus has come. He is the lamp. The lamp has come to reveal and to be revealed, right? Jesus has come to reveal the kingdom of God, to reflect God perfectly. On Wednesday night, we were talking about the the concept of, of humankind being made in the image of God, and so it's our job to reflect God's image to creation, to even to others on the earth, and that because of sin, we don't do that very well, right? We reflect kind of like a carnival mirror where it's all distorted and it looks funny, not the way it's supposed to. But when Jesus comes and he reveals God in who is he is and he images him, it's a perfect reflection of who God is. And so he reveals perfectly who God is. But he also comes to be revealed, right? He will be revealed as the Savior of the world. He is called throughout the Gospels and later in the epistles, the light of the world, the word that has come. And so Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. He's already telling people kind of that's why he came. We saw that earlier where he's hanging out with sinners and they're like, why are you doing this? You shouldn't be hanging out with them. He's like, it's not the sick who need, it's not the well who need a doctor, it's the sick and that's why I have come. So at this point, the people who are listening to him teach, they're still not quite sure what he's coming to do. They're just kind of feeling it out a little bit. But for us, because we have the benefit of being like 2,000 years later in history, um, we know exactly why he came. And so he came to save us as the Son of God who has come to rescue us from sin by sacrificing himself in our place on the cross. So if Jesus is the word that has come, what is the word for us? Well, obviously, we would say the word is Scripture. It is how God is revealed to us. And so we read it, and we study it, and we learn from it because it reveals who God is. It illuminates reality. It illuminates our path and how we should live. But I think it also includes God speaking us to us through the Holy Spirit, whatever that may look like. And I'm, lots of people try to say how that works and what examples you can give. I'm kind of saying God can kind of do what he wants. And if he wants to speak to somebody through the Holy Spirit in a different way than me or than you, then he can, he is perfectly capable to do that. But I think that was what is included. 
because the word has been revealed like a lamp. Jesus has come and he has proclaimed God's word like a lamp. He isn't hiding. He's out in the open for everyone to be able to see. The message of the Messiah, which is what Jesus is coming to fulfill, the Savior who has come, has not been hiding, but more like it was veiled. And so now Jesus is kind of saying, it's time for this to be fully revealed. And then he gives us this phrase, right? There's nothing hidden that will not be revealed or except to be revealed or is meant to be revealed. And so if you think about the concept of hiding something, yes, we do hide things at times, but the whole purpose of hiding or protecting something is so that you can use it or reveal it at the proper time. Um, when I was growing up, we had special plates um, that we only used on special occasions, and I'm sure many of you have those, right? You hide them, you protect them, you keep them safe, almost hidden, until the appropriate occasion, and then you bring them out. And so they're not really hidden where nobody can see them or know that they exist, but you're doing that in that time. The whole point is to hide something so it's revealed at the proper time. We put things of value sort of hidden in a safe or protected, but we don't do that forever, right? If you had a priceless work of art and you just kept it hidden for all time and nobody ever knew you had it, that would defeat the purpose of the work of art, right? You need to reveal it, to show it to people, even if that's only on a rare occasion to accomplish the purpose of the painting. And the same is true of what Jesus is saying, is we, I didn't come to be hidden, it's time to be revealed. And so I am revealing more of myself. And we all know the phrase, right? You can try to hide something, but the truth will come out. Nothing is ever hidden forever. It will be discovered. And so the word was coming out at the right time. It was about to be fully revealed for what it was meant to be. And so today, if you find yourself questioning or saying, man, it seems like it's really hard to find the Word of God or to understand the Word of God, or hearing from God seems impossible. I keep praying and listening, but I never seem to hear from Him. What this reminds us is the Word of God is easily found. It is not hiding. It is like a lamp on a shelf. It's not under the bed. It's not in the closet. It's not under a basket. You can easily find it. God's Word is visible and available. It's still, I think, the bestseller of all time, right? It's found in almost any bookstore and most grocery stores, I think. Um, and so you can easily pick up God's Word. It's easy to find, and He helps us to understand it. And then He continues in verse 24. It says, And He said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And so we have these two sides, right? The measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so what he's talking about there is, if you're generous, then you will be treated generously. And then there's the other side, essentially saying, if you're stingy, then you will be treated stingily. The generous will get more, the stingy will have less. Um, think about the con this concept this way. Think about it like working out, whether that's like taking a walk around the block or whether you're doing CrossFit like at 5 a.m. every morning, whatever your working out is for you. When you work out regularly, it goes easily, right? Your body is used to that. It's prepared for that, and it gets stronger. But if you start working out from zero 
Just remember how hard that is and how tired you get and how you say after the first day, I'm never doing that again, right? It's this same concept. The more you do something, the more you benefit from it. And the less you do it, you actually not just don't have the capability, but you actually lose it. Because if you work out for a while and then you stop and then you go back, you're like, this is worse than when I started the last time, right? Because it feels like you're losing it. And so that's the concept I want you to think about when he talks about this. So he says, the one who receives or the one who has gets a blessing. The way that you respond to the word determines what the result will be. Those who receive openly will understand and will be given more. God will graciously bless those who pay attention to his word by giving them more. More understanding, a deeper understanding, more spiritual growth. Those that are diligent in reading, studying, and applying the word will receive the benefits, and God will increase their capacity to understand more of his word and his revelation. And those benefits, I think, actually carry over into other areas of life, right? Because if you, for example, when you start working out, all of a sudden you think, you know, maybe I should eat better, or maybe I should get more sleep. And so this one thing that you do kind of bleeds into other areas of your life. And I think that happens spiritually. As we begin to get spiritually healthy, it affects the other areas of our life just kind of as we go and as we learn. And so in regards to the kingdom of God, if a person accepts God's proclamation, God will give him a share of his kingdom now and even more will be added in the future when he gets to heaven. And then we contrast that with one who does not receive, who does not have, who is taken away. There are consequences because this same principle works in a negative way. Those that are closed off or those that reject the word will put this, themselves in a situation where the word has less of an opportunity to impact them or to change them or to help them grow. Right? The, the disciple who ignores the word and doesn't read it can slowly lose their ability to hear from it. And so we must continue growing and seeking so our spiritual muscles don't atrophy, right? So that we can stay spiritually healthy. And so in regards to the kingdom of God, if one rejects his word, that one would suffer an absolute loss and even the opportunity he has to share in the kingdom now and in the future, right? It will be taken away from him. And so what do we say here? We ask the question, how will we respond to the word? Will we receive it openly? Will we receive it generously? That's what we talked about last week. Or will we reject it and turn away from it or ignore it or put it on a shelf and never read it again? Right? Jesus' invitation is open to all who would receive his word. Right? The kingdom is there and it has been revealed. It is visible to all like a lamp. We just need to reach out and receive it. So then he continues in verse 26 kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, the blade, the head, and the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. So essentially, the, the farmer goes and he plants the seed, and then he basically just goes about with his life. So when he's not looking, it sprouts and it grows and it produces a harvest. And we see two things that he says about this process. One is, he doesn't know how it works. Right? It grows, but he, although he doesn't know how, 
and it also produces a crop by itself. And so the word grows in us incomprehensibly and automatically. And so it grows in us incomprehensibly. That means we don't really know how it works and we don't really see it work. Right? It, he goes on to on with his daily life. He doesn't understand or know how it happens. And to be honest, he doesn't necessarily even need to know how it happens as long as it happens, as long as the grain grows. And so the word works and grows in us. It changes us. It renews us. It changes our thought processes and our priorities. But how does it do that? How does the word grow and change me? And I have the same answer as this guy. I don't really know, but it does, right? It does. I, I've lived through it. Things like memorizing Scripture, um, which has always been a struggle for me, and a couple of years ago, I actually kind of challenged myself. Instead of just memorizing one verse at a time, I started memorizing big chunks of Scripture. Um, and what I realized is, after I w had done that for a while, that my, my language had changed, that the words I used and the phrases from Scripture began to come out in my everyday conversation. Now, I don't know how that happened. It was connected to me memorizing Scripture, but there was some process in there that changed me without me even realizing it, right? When we pray, I think we all understand that something happens when we pray, that we are changed in the midst of it. Midst of it. it resets our mindset. It changes our attitude. It changes our responses. Anybody ever said, well, when I come to church, my week is just better. And I don't know how, because nothing really magical happened while I was there. The sermon was okay, um, but that was a joke. You could have laughed, but since you didn't, it's okay. I'll make the sermons better. Just kidding, right? But you just feel differently when you come to church or when you attend or when you do that. When we can't really explain it, it just is different. How? How do those things work? Well, we, to be honest, we don't really know. And I think if we did know, we would probably try to force it and say, these are the steps to make it work, and we would try to do it that way. So I think what we're seeing is we see the effects of what we're doing, but we don't actually understand the process of how the Word changes us internally. Because think about even the process of salvation, of how somebody comes to faith. How does a mind and a heart become open to receive the word? To say, I am a sinner, I am broken, I need a Savior. And I believe that that Savior is Jesus who died on the cross in my place to take the punishment for my sin and I give my life over to him. What makes one person say that and receive that and another person not? Even if they're in the same room, what makes that happen? And I think the answer we would probably give is, well, that's what God does. So I think the real answer we would really say after that is, we don't really know how that happens or how that works. That's kind of God's department. And so I think that's what we would say here. And I, for us, I think this is especially hard because we live in an age with so much information and so much understanding of things that we want an explanation for everything. And when we don't get it, we sort of like, well, there has to be some reason why when I do this that I get this. Why I go to church, I have a better week. When I pray, I have more patience. Like, how does that work? And as Christians, we would say, well, that's the Holy Spirit working, but we don't really know how that is. But what we can do is we can trust that the Word is going to work in us, even if we don't understand how. God is still going to work. 
The second thing we see that the seed does is it does it by itself. Um, the word for by itself is the same word that we use for automatically, right? In our house, sometimes we say automatically, right? It automatically does something. So the seed automatically grows, kind of like it's on autopilot, right? We know this in a time where kind of everything is automated and you can get things to do things by themselves. But the seed has its own power, its own life, its own ability to grow. And the word is the same. It has its own power, its own life, its ability to grow and to change us. It does it by itself. And in our time, we want instant results. It's hard to wait. Right? When I'm at home and I'm using my phone to look up a website and it doesn't load in 10 seconds, then I turn off my Wi-Fi so that my self-service will get there faster. Right? Because we don't want to wait even for 10 seconds to get some information. But the Word will change us and it will renew us, but it rarely does it instantly. Now, there are occasions when it does that, but it does so slowly over time, just like the seed growing. The, the, the seed doesn't turn into a tree overnight. It takes time. And so the Word in us, and even, I think, the Word we share with others will grow into a new life, but it just may not be instantly. But that doesn't mean it's not working. I think sometimes we want results and we want to see change or we want to see somebody come to faith or we want to overcome an obstacle and we pray for two weeks and we say, well, it doesn't seem to be working, so I'll try something else. Right? But that's not how God works. He works slowly over time to change us. So my, my challenge to you is don't give up. Just keep going. Be patient. God will continue to work, and He is working now. And when I was looking at this concept, I came across a quote from um, Martin Luther, and this is him kind of explaining um, what he did in the process of kind of kicking off the Reformation, um, which essentially split the Catholic Church into Protestant churches, which is why we are here but this is what he said kind of about what he did in the process of how he made this big impact. And he said, I simply taught, I preached, I wrote God's word, otherwise I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses on it. I did nothing. The word did everything. And so Martin Luther, who's known as a significant figure in our faith, said, I preached the word, and essentially I went and hung out with my friends, and we had a good time, and it was fun. But the word by itself made such a change, such an impact, that we're still talking about it, and we still have different churches over 500 years later and that's what the word does it just does this thing in us and we don't really understand it and we don't know how but it does grow in us it does change us so let us keep seeking it and now after hearing what we've heard so far and even last week you might wonder especially after the last parable where it seems like we don't really know what to do and it does it by itself um, the word grows in a way that i don't really understand 
Am I just supposed to receive the word and let it work? It seems like I really can't do much on my own to make something happen. So will my tiny efforts even accomplish anything? Or do I just sit back and do nothing? But here's where we see the, the kind of the answer to that in verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. Our part is the mustard seed. It's tiny and it's seemingly insignificant. And sometimes that's how I feel. Right? My faith is weak. My faith is small. My effort is lacking. I doubt, I question, I struggle to do the basic things of the Christian life. It seems so small and so lacking. But God takes my weakness, my feeble efforts, and he grows it into something significant. He takes a seed that you can barely see, and he grows it into a tree. Think about what we're learning about, even right now in the book of Mark, the beginnings of the kingdom of God. And as we go through Mark, you kind of, most of you already know the stories, but it seemed small and a little discouraging. As Jesus entered the world as the Son of God, he didn't have this great big entrance like you would expect. There's no royal announcement, there's no big celebration. He was born to a regular young teenage girl, essentially in a stable. And he lived for 30 years, pretty much unknown, just kind of living his life with nothing special about him. And then he ministers for three years in a very small geographic area. He only had 12 close followers, and one of those followers betrayed him. After that, he was killed. So Jesus experienced rejection, and he left this world, if you were looking from the outside, as an apparent failure. The beginning looked so small and insignificant, yet we're still here today talking about the difference that he made, and we're living differently because of Jesus. What began in the tiny place of Galilee is now worldwide in scope and in breadth. What was now hidden is now spectacularly revealed in its global and universal dimensions. We should have hope because of what we see in Jesus. We know that even though things may look bad or be hard or even just not as good as we want them to be, God can do great things with our little faith. That should help us Press on to continue seeking him, to not give up, to not say, I'm going to quit working out my spiritual muscles. I'm going to stop reading or praying because it just seems like it's not going anywhere. We can continue to pray. Let us keep seeking him daily, whatever you can do. Even if you say, today I can only pray for two minutes. That's all I can get. Or I can't do much. But do what you can, however little it is to continue seeking Him. It takes time and effort and discipline to grow. And God does great things with what we give Him to work with. Even though our contribution may seem small, it may seem tiny, it may seem little, it may seem lacking, 
He does great things in us, and He changes us, and we find ourselves less angry and more patient, less discouraged and more hopeful, less distracted and more focused. We see less struggle and more growth over time, just like a workout. It gets easier and easier the more you do it, and more and more impactful the longer you do it. So as we kind of pull these two stories, the ones from last week and the ones from this week, all together, this is what I think we should walk away with, is that we need to trust that God is working. Even if we don't know how, even if we can't see it, even if we don't understand it, His Word has power to do things by itself. Right? The power of the Word is tremendous. It has changed the course of history. It has moved most of us from death to life. And if you're not a believer, it can do the same for you. It's, Christianity is not just about being a nicer person or a better person. It's that we were dead in our sins, and we can be made alive through Christ. And so we trust that God is working even if we aren't sure and we can't see it. And that if we do our part, and from these two weeks, our part is just to be open to receive the word, to listen to it, to un- try to understand it, to do what little we can do. But if we do our part, that he is faithful to do his part. Right? He will respond to our efforts. He will change us. He will renew us. He will restore us. He will overcome what we're trying to overcome. Maybe not overnight, but over a course of time, we will become more like him to better reflect what he desires for us to look like, to be more and more like Jesus. And there's a a verse we're going to come back to for the benediction that he doesn't just help us, but he gives us more than we could ever imagine. He takes our little mustard seed of faith, our little mustard seed of effort, and he makes it into something significant, right? something amazing. We guys pray with me this morning. Um, God, we come before you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for a chance just to, to gather here and to hear your word that even us being here or watching online or listening to this interacting with your word and giving it an opportunity to speak to us, to change us, to be alive in our hearts and in our lives. That, that you're going to do something through that. And so God, this week as we, we seek you, we do what we can to continue to work out our spiritual health, to listen to your word, to pray, to seek you, that you would take our little efforts, our little faith, and you would make something great. That in a time where it feels like more than ever the world just needs hope, that you would give us hope, you would give us encouragement, you would give us the strength and the patience and the mercy and the compassion to do what needs to be done in the world today, that it wouldn't just change us, but as a result of what we have done and how we seek you, that it would also change others. And that we would see the same thing here come out of this little church in Austin, Texas, that it would, we would see a great impact, something that could change the world, that 
starts right here. Not because we do great things or we have brilliant ideas or we try harder than anybody else, but because we focus on your word and receiving it and living it out and following it. And that you slowly change us and you change our desires and our mindset and our hope in what we do so that we can seek you above all else and watch you do things that we won't understand and we don't know how you did it that seemingly happen all by itself. But we know that's what you do. That's what you do because you are powerful, you are mighty, and you can overcome. So let us trust in you above all things. In your name I pray. Amen.